Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! Have you ever had a, a crisis of faith for some reason? Like, like a specific moment, maybe, where you just felt like, I don't know what I'm going to do, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. Or maybe a season of life. I know some people recently that have gone through whole seasons, like months at a time, of a crisis of faith. Like, I don't know if I can do this. Or I don't know if God's going to get me through this. I don't know if God is there. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And when we go through those things, I mean, those can be scary times. Um, When our faith and our fear collide in this journey of life, it can be really difficult. Really difficult. And something that we see in Scripture, something we see in the book of Genesis uh, broadly, and then the people in Genesis specifically, is you see people that are on journey. And sometimes a critique can be made, uh, I think a little unfairly, but a critique that can be made of the people in Genesis is that people will say, the patriarchs of your faith are a bunch of train wrecks. They are like the worst people ever. Sometimes... People that, like, they follow Christ, they believe in God, they'll be like, oh, no, no, and they try to justify these people and try to defend them. Really, your response should just be, yeah, wow, they are train wrecks, aren't they? Like, look at those people. They were the worst. That's, like, that's what's going on with these people. But what I love about these stories is you see a journey unfolding. And in real time, you see a journey unfolding with these people. Some of them are making terrible decisions. They're sinning and, like, and breaking themselves and breaking other people. And then there's God that keeps showing up. So like I said last Sunday, in Genesis, it's cool because you see people being stupid and you see God being good. That's encouraging for me because I could be stupid, right? As your pastor, like I'm supposed to be perfect, I understand, but I am not, right? I'm a pretty not perfect dude. And so I look at these stories and I see something very relatable in them. I see people that make mistakes. I see people like coming back to God, God restoring them, not always what they did, but certainly restoring them, and then just continuing His promises and His plans in these lives because it's a journey. And there's encouragement there for me. Now, again, when we come into those moments as like what we're going to see today, and we have our faith and fear collide, that right there is a moment for you to have to make a choice. And here's, the, like, here's always the tricky part. When, like, when I put a message together, like, everybody's coming from different places. Some people are coming in here and they're like, I could not love Jesus anymore. Literally, we're best friends. Other people are like, never heard of him. Right? Other people are like, I don't want anything to do with him. Matter of fact, I was drugged here. Right? Like somebody actually had to physically make me and bribe me to get here. Like all over. Or I'm watching this thing by accident. My life's falling apart. We've had that before. I saw you online. My life was just kind of spiraling. I didn't know what to do. I found you online. And I know, it's like, man, we come from all over the place. And when our faith and our fear collide, that can be things like, that could be little, little things. Like, I don't know what the outcome of this is going to be. I don't know if I'm going to lose my job because if I'm honest, I'm probably going to get fired. But if I cover it up, maybe I'll get a promotion. Right? I mean, that's, 
right? That's like real life stuff. Or it could be like, if I do this, like, what will people think of me? So I better cover it up. I better lie about it, right? I better, like, I better buy things maybe I can't afford, or maybe I should say things about myself, my kids, my career, right? We live vicariously through our children. And so when everybody's like, they want to know, it's like, man, our kid could be the worst at everything. It's like, man, he is a genius. Wow. He's like, yeah, he's the best. And he like, he drew this picture. And it's like, and we want to build everything up. Why? Because we're fearful of what people will think, right? So fear is a tricky thing. It, it's really kind of under the surface in a lot of ways. It's not just you hiding under the bed with your stuffed animal. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fear that drives us to do things that we know we shouldn't do. And operating out of a place of fear usually is never a good choice. Usually is never a good choice. But what we're going to see today is an example of this guy, Abram, is who we're introduced to here. So chapter 12 to 17 in Genesis, we know him as Abram. So I'm going to apologize ahead of time because when he gets to chapter 17 or so, his name is changed to Abraham. So Abram, just so you know, historically, what does that mean? It's written in Hebrew. Abram means blessed father. Tough name to have when you can't have kids, right? Now, Abraham means father of many. So biblical names are important. Biblical changes in names are especially important. I am going to forget that this morning, and I'm going to call Abram Abraham at least 50% of the time. So I just want to give you a heads up. But right now, in context, he's only Abram. He's not had the name changed yet. We're going to try to stay in context. But this guy, is the he's a hero of the faith. This guy, Abram, is who Jews and those that follow Islam, so Muslims and Christians, all trace our spiritual lineage back to this very imperfect guy. This kind of a mess guy that in his journey, when God gives him his first opportunity after the promise that he gives him, he gives him the first opportunity to go out and step into this promise, and he fails miserably. In spectacular, total, jerk, selfish fashion is what Abraham does. When the first time he's able to go out. And we're going to watch him falter and make a pretty epic mistake. So this morning, what we're going to do, and I hope this can make it personal, is we're going to explore this uncomfortable space in between faith and fear. Because that's where we operate from. When, and whatever it is for you, again, I don't know what your thing might be, but whenever you're caught in the middle of those two, that's a really uncomfortable space where great things can happen or really bad things that we regret are going to happen. Right? And so being there is not an easy thing, but that's what we're going to explore in his big, his big failure today. And so to do that, our question to consider for this part three, part three of Genesis we're in, uh, the journey, how is your faith in God growing in the journey of life? I did this question specifically because here's what I know about Christians and here's what I know about guys like me, pastors. It's really easy to play the shame game and say if your faith is in any way faltering, if you have doubts, if you're not walking 100% fully with Jesus, engaged and filled absolutely to the brim and spilling over with the Holy Spirit, then you need to really check yourself. You really need to ask yourself what you're doing and why you're sinning and why you're doing this and why you're doing this. And then rather than being in a helpful way, I've seen it done so many ways where it just condemns people. And their issues, their struggles, their sins, rather than pushing them back to the goodness of God, just pushes them away from it because of ourselves, how we condemn ourselves. That's why First John says, look, sometimes the Lord needs to step in when our hearts condemn us, right? So living, living with, like, good guilt, I think, is a good thing. Like, if I know I did something wrong, that's one thing. But just to, like, be buried by it and shame is another thing altogether. So what I just want you to hear and understand is that you're on a journey. 
you're on a journey. And what we learn from these people, one of the valuable things right up front we learn from this guy, especially Abram, is that he fell on his face and he hurt people really badly. And yet there was this, there was this thing inside of him that said, but I need to keep growing in this journey. And it changed Abram into a guy that would be called a hero of our faith. A total mess of a guy that did make a lot of mistakes. And I don't want you to live and like, like I need to always be up and to the right. Because Pastor Kyle, your pastor, has sometimes long seasons of life where I have doubt and I have worries. And I feel like a fraud. Like I'm up here. I don't know what I'm doing, Lord. There's so many great and big things happening. Why did you pick me? I had no idea how to accomplish half of them. And God's like, I know. It's okay. But I created the universe. So stop worrying. You know, but I have those seasons. I have those seasons myself. And so, and sometimes I'm like, why do I keep doing this? Why does this keep being an issue? Because we're on a journey. I'm on a journey with all of you, right? So that's one cool thing we can pull out of this guy's story, right? So our topic for today then, when faith and fear collide, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12. And just in case you don't know Abram, let me give you a little context. He lived about 4,000 years ago. And he lived at a time uh, when he was called out. So if you can picture in your mind like a map of the Middle East, right? Or if you want to be real technical, Southwest Asia, right? So right there in Kuwait and Iraq, right there in that little area, more or less, is where he lived. He gets called north-ish, west-ish to modern-day Turkey, right? That's where God calls him to, to Haran. He's there for a little bit, and then he's going to go all the way back to mo- through modern-day Israel and then down to Egypt. So that's his journey that really focuses on a lot in his story. And today is that step he takes down into Egypt. And today is the opportunity he has to, like, step into this promise. And again, it's, it's a spectacular failure. So he just got, the, what I keep referencing, the promise that he got was a threefold promise. And it's one that affects the whole Bible. It's a really important promise because something, there was a hint in Genesis chapter 3. You have the fall, right? They ate the fruit, all that stuff happened. And he makes this promise that he's got an answer. God does. Genesis chapter 12, he confirms what the promise is. And he says it's going to come through Abraham. So it's really, this is a really pivotal chapter for the whole Bible. And the promise, again, being threefold, first of all, you have, he's going to make him the nation of Israel. So Israel becomes Israel with one of his descendants, with Jacob. So they're Hebrews before then. They become Israel. So he's going to make him into this nation. He's going to give him material blessing, and he's going to make his name great, which uh, he's done, right? Everybody knows Abraham. And like this, again, billions of people on earth know him. And, but he's, and he started it all with a very imperfect guy, but he gave him these promises. And it would all point, eventually, this, how this would unfold is he would have a son, Isaac. Isaac would have a son, Jacob. Jacob would eventually have a son, Joseph. And then generations and generations and generations later would come Jesus. So this is a really important person in the biblical narrative, so much so that the very first book of the Bible in Matthew, or the New Testament, I'm sorry, the very first book of the New Testament, Matthew, starts with Abraham. So when he's trying to paint a picture of, okay, this is who Jesus is, he traces it. 14 generations from Abraham, 14 generations from him, 14 generations from him, and then here's Jesus. But it all traces back to this guy, Abram, and it all traces back to the promise that God just made Abraham right before the scene that we're about to pick up on. So again, a very pivotal point uh, in the, the biblical narrative, but just the same, a very imperfect guy. Because this same guy, that look what the Bible says four times about Abram on this next slide. It says that he believed, I'm quoting here from Scripture, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's a little bit later, just a few chapters from where we are today. And then also in Romans in the New Testament, Galatians in the New Testament, and James even goes so far as to call Abram, Abraham, later, a friend of God. But I want you to notice, again, three faith systems traced back to Abram. Friend of God. 
He believed God. Righteousness, faith, trust. That's what Abram is known for. But I want you to see his first step. That's what we're looking at today. I want you to see this monumental character's first opportunity to step into this promise. And what he did when his faith and his fear collided. Like, it's really, a really interesting case study to see what God is showing us. Because I want you to, again, I want to say it again, like I said earlier, the people we see in Scripture have so much to give us. They're not perfect people. Some of them are really bad, terrible, awful people. And they're put up, not as examples to emulate in every way, but they're put up as an example of either sin or God's goodness in that or consequences. There's, there's so much to learn. These aren't just nursery rhymes. These are real flesh and blood people that dealt with really painful problems. So there's some encouragement for me, though, because the guy that this is said about had some pretty bad failures. And that, I don't know where you sit today or where you come from today or where you are with God or where you are with your faith, but that gives me encouragement that this guy can have some real serious failures. The Jesus closest friends when he would pick his disciples later in life. Real serious flaws. And yet look at all God did with them. It's really cool. Alright, so let's jump in. Um, Chapter 12, verse 10. So there was a famine in the land where he lived in Canaan. So Abraham, he has this like Israel area, if you want to kind of in your mind. So then he went down to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. Now here's the cool thing to do with Scripture. Easy. Boom, boom, boom. We just read through verses. But if we slow down and we actually think, okay, what was going on here? What are some of the key words? So there was a famine in the land. Now, we don't have many famines here in America, but a famine is like dry ground, parched earth, you know, nothing's growing, nobody is getting food, and nobody's getting water. This part of the world over there, actually, it was like nicknamed for its dryness because there's no natural rain there that comes very often. So that's the first, that's the first thing to notice. But then he's going to, in the midst of this, God just, in verses, this is verse 10, verses 1 through 9, just made him these cool three promises that we read earlier. Immediately, he walks into a famine. His son Isaac would have his own famine to walk through. Isaac's son Jacob would have his own famine to walk through. So what does that tell us if we actually slow down and put some of these pieces together? Is that the promises of God in your life the goodness of God in your life is not going to make your life easy. I want you to really hear this. The promise is literally being fulfilled right now in the midst of really severe suffering. Because we want to look at it and say, well, if there's the goodness of God and He's fulfilling His promises and if He's in my life, then why is X, Y, and Z happening? Whereas the, the, the story literally starts with God saying, I'm literally fulfilling, fulfilling my promise and I'm bringing with it, I'm allowing to happen real serious difficulty in three generations as the promise is being fulfilled. That's, there's something to mine out of that for our lives. That God may be doing something in your life and He may be preparing you for something in the midst of or even because of the difficulty that you're currently facing. Like, that's what we see in the Bible. But again, it's like we kind of just wash that away. It's like, oh, God's all love and He's all good. And it's like, yeah, but there's really difficult things that could be happening in your life. It doesn't mean God's not there and He's not working in you. That's the kind of stuff we can pull out. That's the kind of stuff we see in a lot of these people. So he's, you, you see that. There's this famine. Um, and you also see in verse 11, like the next one down, you see this, this transition start to happen. So, in verse 11, when he was about to enter Egypt, Abram, he said to his wife, Sarai, Look, 
I know what a beautiful woman you are. So it's like, is he just flattering her? Like, what's happening right now? Right? Because we're, we're about to shift gears in their story. And so I remember reading this when I was younger and kind of being curious about this and being like, all right, so in this scenario right here, in this picture, she's probably 65 years old. And so it's like Abraham is like, you're a beautiful woman. And it's like, and he better say that. This is his wife, right? Like, you better say that. So it's like, okay, check. I understand that. But as you're going to see in a couple of verses, like the other people do, really. And they, and they want to take her because of that. It's what he's fearful of. And I'm like, okay, so how, like, how pretty was she? Like, what's going on here with this woman? And so then I'm going to look at it this past week because I never really had before. And I said, all right, so why was she so beautiful? What was going on? Two things I found I came across. One is a little more concrete. One is like, okay, maybe. So here's the first one. One is culture back then, it appraised beauty a little bit differently than we do. A big, a big part of beauty then was in the eyes, right? So in a little bit, and a little later in this, in this narrative and his, his ancestors, you're going to see Leah get introduced to us. Now, Leah, there was something about Leah's eyes that made her less attractive than Rachel. So it was all centered on her eyes. And I always wondered that when I used to read that. Like, what's, what's with the eye? Like, she have a lazy eye? Like, what's happening, with her? what's happening up here? Right? I never understood that. But then, like, when I began to look at it this week, again, culturally, there was a lot around the eyes. And the beauty of a woman centered a lot around the eyes. So it was like, okay, that's cool. I get that. But still, like, Pharaoh wants to take her. So what's going on with that? Right? Then uh, I came across another commentary and said, well, if you really do take into account that if she did, in fact, if it's true that she lived, and Scripture records, she lived to be uh, about 130 years old, and not 65 is not looking so bad, right? <laughs> Comparatively. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you really live that long, you know, your life's like half over, right? So you're like 40. And I think that's pretty good, if you ask me. <laughs> so, so there's a couple different things to think about, right? But it plays an important part of the story. And I never got like, quite to the bottom of it, but there's just a couple things to think about. And so he says this to her, and it's like, okay, so why? Why does he point this out to her right away? What is he prepping us for that's happening next? So in verse 12, he says, When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but they will let you live. In verses 1 through 9, God himself just made Abraham a promise that he's going to do something great through him. All Abraham had to do was not be stupid and not die. I got it from there. That's really it. God says, I'm going to do this in you. All Abraham had to do was just follow God, trust God, and just not die, basically, right? Just stay alive. And so immediately, he's given the opportunity to step into this, and he says, look, they're going to kill me. What is driving that kind of thinking? This is Abram being fearful. This is what it looks like in his life when he's fearful. I don't know what's going to happen out there. And there's precedent for this, right? King David, one of the most famous people in the Old Testament, what did he do? Well, he killed Uriah to get his wife Bathsheba. So it's not an unheard of thing. Now, David is way after Abraham, but still, this is something that could happen. An all-powerful king, it's not inconceivable that he could do what he wants. But who does Abram serve? An all-powerful God, right? Who has authority over this guy that thinks he's all-powerful, the Pharaoh. But when faith and fear collided... This is what he starts to do. This is what fills his mind. You ever do that? You ever get fixated on, that, fixated on an idea, and then it's like, then you can't get rid of it, and then you see everything through that lens, right? That's another funny thing fear can do to us. So verse 13, he says, Please, he begs her, please say that you're my sister, so it will go well for me because of you. 
and my life will be spared on your account. So I always thought this was interesting too. Say you're my sister. Is this an outright lie that Abram is asking Sarai to make for him? Actually, no. We find out later in Genesis chapter 20, so we're in chapter 12 now, Genesis chapter 20, we see this fun little detail here. Verse 12, he says, Show your loyalty to me, loyalty to me, wherever we go, and say about me, he's my brother. So right as they're leaving their homeland, they're taking off from Ur, right, over there, Kuwaitish area, a little north of Kuwait. They're leaving there, and right off the bat, you can see that deception for Abram is the plan. I need you to tell everybody that you are my sister and I'm your brother. Well, why would he do that? Why would Abraham do that? Again, outright lie? Well, no, because also in chapter 20, when he's talking to this other guy, Abimelech, he says, we are actually brother and sister. We have the same father, just not the same mother. So my next thought is, do. Like, yikes. But that's what they are. And back then, man, there were some cultures where that was like an important thing, right? You look at the like British royal line, yikes, right? Yikes. Some things going on in there. And so that, again, a very messy story. This is not like yay fairy tale time. This is like, man, this is cultural weirdness. This is like promises being made in the midst of like real damaging suffering and these famines. famines. All this stuff is happening. So here's what we see about Abram. Abram is the master of the half-truth. So what I want you to think about is, how about you? How are you with half-truths? How are you at manipulating truth with your wife, with your kids, with your friends, at work, at school, your teachers? Did you study for this test? I sure did. Right? It's like, how are we with half-truths and being really brutally honest? That's a really difficult thing to do when we're in that uncomfortable space between faith and fear and making a decision that is really based more out of faith that this is just the right thing to do, not this is what will get me ahead. Because that's what he says. If you say this, it will go well for me on account of you. I'm going to get good, and it's going to be because of you. So that's what we see happening right here in this dynamic. But what does the gospel of Jesus demand of us? So this is where it gets real. If you say you're a follower of Christ, or if you're interested to know what a follower of Jesus is all about, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Christian ethic, demands a very high bar of integrity. So this is what, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, this is what God says to the Apostle Paul. So a couple thousand years after Abraham, he says this, Do not lie to one another. Why? Well, you put off your old self with its practices, like lying. And you put on your new self. You're a new creation now. Paul's saying you're different. You live differently. And then next, he says, You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. That's the Imago Dei, like we talked about the Imago Dei, the image of God. You reflect the integrity, the character, the truth of God as a creation of God. Much more so if you're a follower of Christ. So this is the Christian ethic. Like, no, we should not be masters of half-truths. We should not manipulate it to make ourselves look better. And guess who's guilty of that? Your pastor is. Right? Your pastor can do that. 100%. It's something I have to be aware of. Like, I have to be really hard on myself to say, I'm not going to do this kind of stuff. Because I know where that can go. I know that, that people are like, that's, that builds a small level of like integrity breakdown for people. And I know it's sin. And I know it affects my personal character when nobody's watching. I know these things. And I know that, again, following Christ, it is a high call. It's a high call. So this is what it demands of us. 
That's what it demands of us. So if we jump back to verse 13, though, look at this. He says, so he says again, pray, or please say that you're my sister, so it will go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. So don't miss what's happening in that statement. He is willing to risk everything, the promise he was just given, and put his wife in very real danger so that he can live. Like, at this simple request right there, the first hint of danger, the vision's been lost, the promise has been jeopardized, because he is fearful of what will happen. <laughs> and a funny thing about Abraham that I may apply to you as well, uh, is that there were times in his life where something would happen, and maybe out of a sense of, like, practicality, he was like, all right, I know I need to stay alive, and I know I need to not be stupid. So this thing about staying alive, I'm going to have to lie and manipulate to get this promise fulfilled. So, Abraham made the major mistake of thinking that every now and then, the Lord Almighty needs our help to keep his plan on track. That he needs our help and that God will be okay with our sin and our selfishness and our choices because, man, we're just helping you out, Lord, because I don't really see how this will work out, but if I do this... It's a beeline. That's what you see over and over and over in Genesis, is people trying to figure out things for God on his behalf. And that was a big flaw of Abraham that he kind of just kept coming back to. So what happens? So when Abraham, verse 14, entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw, in fact, that the woman was very beautiful. And Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, so the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. So don't miss what's happening here. Abram, because of his lie... He puts his wife in this very dangerous position, and she's been taken into Pharaoh's, not just household. It's not like she's just hanging out. She's been taken into his harem. Abraham is an awful person. He's put his wife in a situation where she's literally going to have to be a sex slave of somebody else. That's the kind of guy that we're talking about in Abraham. This is an awful, terrible thing to do, and I don't just want to breeze by it and be like, oh, Pharaoh's house, that was probably pretty cool. That's not what's happening in this story. That's not the kind of man that Abraham is. That's not the kind of flaw that's being revealed in this guy, Abram, at this point. So this is where she finds herself. Verse 16. He treated, the Pharaoh did, treated Abram well because of her. And Abram acquired flocks and herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves, maybe Hagar. This is where she comes into the story. And camels. So again, to be clear, Abraham gets rich while his wife becomes Pharaoh's harem, a part of it. So to protect himself, he's willing to give his wife up as a sex slave. Abram essentially became a human trafficker. Like, these are very flawed people that we have. It's not just because they're in the Bible. It's like, oh man, look, they're such great people. They're examples. Like, ooh, wow, no. Clearly, clearly, there's something more going on. So Sarai, at this point, she's Sarai. She's the mother of the promised child. Everything is about to be thrown out the window because of what Abraham does right here and because he acquires all these things, all these riches. And again, don't miss that she is completely being taken advantage of by these two men, by her own husband and by Pharaoh. And she is a helpless victim in all of this. And her story is kind of a quiet one. 
But after the first service, Sally Ann, so she was over here singing, uh, she came up and she says, hey, you know, I was thinking about a verse. And I love when this happens sometimes. Sometimes people are like, oh, you know how I would have said that. Now, that hurts a little bit. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. But she was good. She was like, you know what I was thinking? This is a cool verse. And I was like, yeah, I want to share that. Um, so she said, in First Peter chapter 3. So here we are, way in the New Testament, right? So now we're 2,000 years after Abram. And how are they looking back on Sarah and Abraham, or Sarai and Abram, right? How are they looking back? With, 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 a, with an advantage of 2,000 years and, and where his story ended as to, compared to where it started. So they're looking back, and Peter says to them, and he's talking to husbands and wives, and, and he's saying to them, he says in verse 5, for in the past, the holy women, so now he's putting, Peter's putting women forward. Like, look at this example of these women. He says, in the past, holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham. So she was, again, she was taken advantage of. She was totally a victim. And so, and even in the midst of that, she was just like, she had the faith somehow to trust God and say, all right, Lord, the very people in my life that I should be able to trust in and rely on are the very ones that are completely wrecking my life. I'm in a living nightmare because of this person that I'm supposed to trust with everything. What happens when the very person in your life you're supposed to trust most is the one creating the nightmare? Where do you go? What do we learn from Sarai? What we learn, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord even. It's like, I'm totally at this guy's mercy. And he says, Peter says, you have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. That verse starts back with the holy women who put their hope in God. And Peter ends that idea by saying, you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. He is connecting her hope in God, in spite of the tragedy that's happening, the nightmare that she's living, he's connecting that hope that she was able to have quietly with her lack of fear and the way that she was able to face that and say, well, I, I, I'm going to just trust God. My life is completely falling apart right now. This guy Abraham, Lord, that you gave me is a complete dirtbag. What am I going to do but trust you, Lord? It's like, right, this is real flesh and blood stuff. So he has a very, very rough start this Abraham, this Abram, this patriarch of the faith, this hero of the faith, this scared, cowardly liar had a messy step into the promise that God made. It's like, there's a lot to pull out of this guy. And he created, in this situation here, when he got all this money, he created himself an impossible situation. He, re he received all these riches basically as an exchange, a contractual exchange. I'm taking your wife and I'm giving you all this stuff. So he's got two choices now. Two choices. I tell the truth about what I did and I lose the riches and probably my life. Or I just continue to lie. I lose my wife, lose the promise, but I get to be rich. And what does Abraham choose? Well, he chooses righteousness, right? He goes to Pharaoh and he tells him, look, I made him a... No, he doesn't do that. Not at all he doesn't do that. Not at all. But what happens? What happens? He gets all this stuff. He puts her in this impossible situation. Leaves her there. And what happens to her? The next verse is an incredibly powerful verse. It's a hinge point. Whenever I see these words, I always put little squares around them in my Bible. I always highlight them. I always notate them somehow. Because it's life-changing. Verse 17 is life-changing. 
but the Lord. But the Lord. Because Abraham has completely sacrificed the promise, completely sacrificed his wife. So God is going to have to directly intervene into this mess and rescue not only Sarah, but rescue the promise. So when this happens, he steps in, and I just thank God so much for those kinds of words. When we screw up, but the Lord. When we mess up, but the Lord. There's just God's grace in this story. And it goes on, oh, what did the Lord do? How did he intervene? How did he protect her? Well, he struck Pharaoh in his household with severe plagues because of Abram's wife, Sarai. Again, well, why? Protect her. Protect her promise. When he wouldn't, Abram wouldn't, God did. He intervened directly into this nightmare and said, all right, this is not, this is not how this is going to go. It's not. So he has to intervene. And then how did Pharaoh react to that? You can imagine, you know, plagues. He's probably pretty happy. So he comes and he yells at Abram. So Pharaoh sent, verse 18, for Abram and said, What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her as my wife? Now look at this. Again, you think about the nightmare that she's living. Now here's your wife. Take her and go. I mean, could you be any more like a piece of cattle? Right? It's just like, I'm done with you. I, I want to get rich. I need to be safe. And here she is, caught in between, at the time, these two very powerful men. I mean, you want to talk about God seeing you in your pain, and God understanding that, and what it was like for Christ on the cross, and how He understands what it's like to be in between a rock and a hard place, and to be persecuted and beaten and bloodied. And, and like, what we see in Scripture is just unbelievable difficulty in God saying, I've got you. Unbelievable unfairness in God saying, but I got you. Like, that's a real tension. That's a real tension in the Bible that we need to let speak for itself. So he is raging right now, but here's Sarai caught in the middle of this thing. Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him, and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. So again, making this personal, what's it look like for you when your faith and your fear collide? For Abram, it was a spectacular disaster that affected a lot of people, his selfishness and the fear that drove his decisions. Well, I want you to see also, because sometimes it's hard to put these little details together, I want you also to see how this plays out. And we're going to cover this stuff later in Genesis. But I want you to see what this looks like in Abram's family. Think about yours. So look, first of all, Abram, several chapters later, chapter 20, he's going to do it again. He's going to do the same thing to Sarai again with Abimelech. But now she's Sarah. But he's going to make the same lie, put her forward again. And the results are a little bit different because God intervenes, but, uh, but the results are a little bit different from all that. But he does it again. And then a little bit later, so as we now go down through the generations, Isaac, his son, is going to lie to the king of Gerar about Rebekah. Same lie. Same thing. Chapter 26. Where do you suppose he learned that? Like, was this such a big part of Abram's life that he just, this just bled into his children, this dishonesty? And then look, again, how do we pass these things down through the generations? How does this affect our families? So the next thing you see happen. So Isaac's son Jacob and his mother deceive Isaac to steal the promise, right? To steal the blessing of the firstborn. So he conspires with his mom to do this to his father. So you see this ravaging family still. And as the story unfolds in the rest of Genesis, next, he says, you see Laban. So now Jacob with his father-in-law, Laban, right? And he gets deceived by Laban with Leah. Leah is not the one that Jacob wants. He wants Rachel, right? Because, again, something with the eyes. I don't know what's going on with Leah, but she get, he gets deceived by Laban because he wants to give away Leah first. Just keeps perpetuating, keeps perpetuating. 
And then Rachel. Rachel is going to steal from and deceive her father Laban. Because now they're heading out. They're heading away. Jacob, now he has Rachel, leaving with all their stuff. Laban gets all ticked off because he's like, who stole my little idols, my little things that I worship to? Well, who had them? Well, Rachel did. She had them hiding. And she was like, when Dad finally caught up, she was like, oh, sorry, Dad, I'm on my period. I can't get up. Right? Like, Scripture's awkward. Like, it's really awkward. You know, like, there's some weird, weird, but it's like just these honest stories of her deceit. Well, how am I going to keep my own dad from looking under where I'm sitting? There's like only a handful of things, and that's right at the top of the list. You know what I'm saying? Like, so this deceit just keeps perpetuating, you know? And then Jacob's son. So let's now get into Jacob's kids. Jacob's son, Simeon, and Levi, they deceive and they kill a bunch of people of Shechem because of what happened to their sister. And so they do it. And then Jacob actually curses them for it, which is ironic. And then how else does it affect his kids? Well, Jacob's other kids. Next slide. You see Jacob's other sons. They're going to deceive him about Joseph. Joseph's story is a long one. From 37-ish all the way to chapter 50, it's about Joseph. And talk about unbelievable struggle. Talk about having to trust God's promise in the midst of just what is happening right now. Right? This, there's so much to pull out, but you see this deceit over and over and over again. It just perpetuates into his family. And it causes so much damage and so much harm in Abram's family. And it's like, and we see it like right as soon as the promise. His first step is such a messy one. And yet he's known as the father of our faith. This guy. And like his journey is, is oh man, there's so much to learn. But the cool part about this story, though, I don't want to be overly negative. I just want us to see what to learn. But what is even bigger than their mistakes, because this story is not, Genesis is not about their mistakes and their failures. It's about God's grace. Because that's what you continue to see in these people. Man, they royally mess up. And there's God's grace. So take that home with you. Like, what's that look like in your life? Right? Again, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, like, what's your image of God? Is, is it one of just, like, enduring patience in the journey of people just like, oh, my gosh, I picked you specifically for this. And look what you're doing. And I have to keep intervening because I love you and I'm committed to saving you from yourself. I'm saving you from sin. I'm saving you from death. Like, is that the picture of God that you have? Because that's what we continually see here in this book. So from Abraham's story, from Abram's story, when faith and fear collide, it's, it's hard, but the lesson that I know to be true, what I see is choosing faith over fear. Because here's what I see in people I love and look up to. They face their fears with one eye on the rearview mirror, so to speak. Like when you're driving, hopefully you're looking at the road and maybe the rearview mirror and side view mirrors, not sandwiches, magazines, or your phone. All right? Looking in the mirror so that we can see what's around us, right? But I know a lot of people don't do that with their fears. I heard that said long ago. When you're facing your fear out the front window of your car, always keep one eye on that rearview mirror so you can see the goodness of God in your past. And then you get in a community like this, and you get to hear other people's stories. You get to, like, sit in their car and look in their rearview mirror and be like, wow, look what God did in their life. All right. And that's how you build your faith. You read scripture. You see stories like this. You pray and not just do chatterbox prayers, but you practice meditative prayer. You say, Lord, just speak to my heart. What do I need to hear? That's hard for me to do. As your pastor, that's a tough one. But man, you grow because you hear God's voice when you stop talking. It's a cool thing to practice. That's how you grow in your faith. That's how this thing looks. And so I'll leave you with this. A simple idea. Because sometimes choosing faith over fear, it's as simple as this last one. Sometimes you're just being like, God, I know you've got me. I have no idea what's going on right now. 
Think of Abram. Think of Sarai. Think of all this stuff. I don't know what's going on right now, but I know you've got me. Right? Sometimes choosing faith with fear in the moment, it can be as simple as that. Not having all the answers. All right, let me close this out. So, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the stories that you give us, Jesus. I pray your blessing on us as we go, uh, as we as we listen, as we face our fears, as we face trials and difficulty in life, Lord. Will you just teach us, God? Will you show us in your word what can be pulled out, what can be applied and learned? And I pray in all of us, Lord, whether we're here, whether we're watching, God, that you're going to do the work that only you can do in us, Lord. We need you. We need you, Lord. And I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. That's it. Love you guys. Have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.